0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Professors at Work, where we discuss the research work that AUB professors and scholars are doing, what they've discovered, and what it means for the rest of us. I'm delighted to have as our guest this week, Dr. Riemann Ash who is a tenured associate professor of health promotion and community health in the Faculty of Health Sciences at AUB. One of the focuses of her work has been on tobacco control. She's the coordinator of the Tobacco Control Research Group at AUB. And she's also associate director of the K2P Center, which is Knowledge to Policy Center. So we're going to talk to her about all of these um, issues and, and others. Professor Naash, thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you, Hairami. Thank you for hosting me.
0: You bet. Um, You started this work about 12, 13 years ago at AUB, and it was uh, quite a pioneering uh, venture. Tell us why you started to do this research.
1: I learned about tobacco control uh, around the time, in in the early 90s. Um, More information went globally, was available about the works of the tobacco industry. And uh, that was through litigation that happened in the US that required tobacco companies to make their documents public. And through researching those documents, the whole world found out about the treacherous uh, uh, industry and how much they hid from knowing about the harmful effects of nicotine and tobacco use. They hid it for a long time, and all the practices and strategies and tactics that they followed to interfere in public health policy making to protect uh, from tobacco use the harms of tobacco. So that got me really, really interested in this. uh, And I uh, developed my uh, doctoral work around that component, looking in Lebanon and the Eastern Mediterranean region on how the industry works. And through that, I started working in Lebanon on a cardiovascular disease prevention project, working on changing and uh, raising awareness when you talk about health promotion, and, and also focusing on interventions that have communities participate in implementing with researchers and with academia. And then I learned through this work at the beginning, that was my first job after my uh, my MPH uh, that actually I took at AUB. I learned that, you know, you can really work on changing individual behavior, but it's not going to work unless there is an enabling environment that, uh, that surrounds those individuals and supports them in changing their behavior. And so that's where policy and my interest in tobacco control policy came. And uh, and then from then on, I uh, focused my, my research uh, uh, area on uh, tobacco control policy and on evaluating policies and looking how effective they are in reducing tobacco consumption or preventing uh, initiation, even when we talk about with youth, uh, children and youth.
0: So you're really dealing with two issues here. One is the physical health impact of uh, tobacco consumption. And the other one is to try to change policy. Tell us the first one. What have you and your colleagues around the world learned in recent years about why tobacco is bad for us?
1: Well, there's, of course, you know, the knowledge around the harmful effects of tobacco use, particularly, was around and was focused on cigarettes. So what I actually want to highlight here in the added value of more recent work is what we learned about other modes, we call them alternative modes of tobacco use, and sometimes more traditional modes that have showed up in the last 10 or 20 years. So for example, Relevant not only in Lebanon and uh, the, the Eastern Mediterranean region or the Arab world, but also globally and in the US too, is water pipe tobacco smoking and the increasing use of water pipe tobacco smoking among, uh, among youth, of course, and, and adult populations. And this new way of or mode of tobacco use was not very well studied. And through work that the, the UV tobacco control research group faculty members led, we learned a lot about carcinogens and toxicants that are in tobacco, smoke, and uh, uh, what are the things that are not only in the tobacco, but also in the accessories that are used to light watertight tobacco. So the harmful uh, harmfulness of the charcoal that's that's used to, to light the tobacco, etc. So that's where then there was a need to think. And that actually leads to the second part, uh, Rami, because that leads to the second part that if we know what we know so far about cigarette use, and now we know about the same harmful effects that water-pipe tobacco use leads, then it means that we need to have, and we need to have informed policies, evidence-informed policies, also that curb water-pipe tobacco use. And then that might not be the same policies that we think about when we think about curbing cigarette use, because the whole phenomena of water-pipe tobacco smoking is different. You know, it's a social habit. People do it in groups, not a tobacco use uh, where people can, you know, take the, uh, around the accessory with them, such as a cigarette. You can put it in your pocket or to pipe you can. And, and then the length of smoking and the volume of smoke that is produced from the smoking habit. So people sit for hours and hours. So the end when you stop smoking water pipe is different than a cigarette. You know, cigarette is the same dose all the time, everywhere in the world, you see. It starts at the same takes the same amount of time to smoke. So and so that led to a lot of work around water developing or evaluating water pipe. Pipes. So what works to curb water pipe tobacco use? And I, I think you're familiar, Rami, with the Framer Convention on Tobacco Control. So that's an international treaty that was that was ratified by so far by over a 170 countries. This treaty was built on evidence throughout the years that accumulated by researchers and outlines what are the tobacco control policies that are evidence-based and that have been shown to curb tobacco use, particularly cigarettes. So, for example, complete bans of smoking in public places, banning of advertising and promotion of tobacco products, in addition to having health warnings on tobacco products and the evidence that accumulated across the years that this sort of health warnings need to be large, need to be textual, but also more recently the development of the need to have pictorial health warnings on tobacco products. Many countries now are requiring, by legislation, to have pictorial health warnings on water pipe tobacco products, and those have been shown to be more more effective in uh, reducing consumption and uh, preventing smokers uh, from continuing to smoke, etc. So a lot of the work that I did focused uh, focused on that. Recently, actually, around 10 years ago, we did some work from AUB that because we were curious. Mm-hmm on how those health warning labels were actually practiced uh, in the real world on water pipe mm-hmm. tobacco products. So, so we did an evaluation and we sort of purchased from various countries, from different continents, uh, product, water pipe tobacco products. We we brought them back and we analyzed them and we started looking at, you know, what sorts of warnings are on those water pipe tobacco products. And we found alarming data that, you know, there were very little health warning labels on those products, if any. And sometimes, even if there were, there were a lot of misleading messages on these, on these products. So they were claiming things that were not true on the tobacco boxes, on the filters, on the mouthpieces, and on the charcoal, making claims that were totally misleading and had misleading descriptors. And from then on, started uh, my research on proposing what could potentially be, or how could a health warning on a water pipe tobacco pack look like? Uh, And Mm -hmm. it's accessories. And we had graphic, we worked with graphic designers and with experts that, you know, had, you know, they knew the information about what are the causes, health risks of water-type tobacco smoking. And we developed a set of potential health warnings. And since then, there's been a growing field of evaluating those health warnings. Some of those health warnings have been evaluated in, in the U.S., um, I led a project in uh, a number of Arab countries where they took up those self-warnings and they tested them with people, with youth, with, with adults and various uh, populations looking at you know, how effective they are in making people right. start to think to stop uh, uh, water pipe tobacco smoking. And it's been, you know, it's a, it's a journey. So you build on findings and you expand on findings specific. Uh, and what's the point of all that? The point is informing policy.
0: Mm-hmm. the problem I suppose you're facing that many researchers face on public health issues is that as you try to implement policies that improve people's health new products come on the market from commercially driven companies so in your case you, you looked at water pipes then you had this uh, vaping I don't know what the technical term is
1: yeah, uh, yeah, vaping.
0: E-cigarettes. what is it? e-cigarettes Yeah. E-cigarettes. So tell us a little bit about that you must have looked into that as well
1: Currently, well, e-cigarettes are not legally uh, in the market uh, in Lebanon, so you can find them in various places. They're not regulated, and so that's a big, big problem. And if they're not regulated, this means they don't go under the required rules of labeling, and even um, while they're go- getting into the country, the prices, you know, they're not priced properly. And and so there's a variety of uh, potential way to to get them. And they're accessible to youth. And that's the danger and concern is that those products can end up being a, a sort of like an entry point to smoke for youth and younger uh, younger age groups. And so they start with that, they get introduced to, the, to, to nicotine, uh, to the addiction, and then they can move into different various uh, tobacco products. So there's something called polyuse where you can jump from one tobacco use method to, to another to satisfy nicotine addiction. Currently, I'm- uh, I'm conducting interviews, online interviews now because of of the COVID-19 crisis, uh, with youth, and particularly to understand, you know, the determinants. Why do they actually uh, have started vaping? Why do they use e-cigarettes? What how does it make them feel? And and understanding their perceptions about harm with regards to these products. And the point is, you know, this sort of information will help us, help us think about how do we want to uh, develop our messages. Our, communication messages, proper communication messages that are tailored, tailored to, the, uh, to the population in Lebanon and to, you, to the youth of Lebanon uh, yeah. to understand all these health risks of um,
0: vaping and e-cigarette use. Mm. So is, uh, are e-cigarettes as bad for your health as uh, regular cigarettes? Uh, there
1: are chemicals and the emissions from e-cigarettes are as harmful there are a lot of studies that now are accumulating about this, and this, and what is of concern is the is the nicotine levels and the very nicotine levels that can be acquired from this mode of uh, this mode of smoking, uh, and these what you actually mentioned at the beginning when you started talking about them is the innovation and the you know you know the. The generations, so now you talk about generations of e-cigarettes. They've started in some mode of design, and now they are moving into different uh, other uh, uh technologies that make uh, this product even more attractive and ultimately the design is to ensure that the users get the maximum amount of nicotine and the toxicants that are available in this uh, in this e-liquid. What the safest is not to use any sort of of, uh, product that uh, introduces nicotine addiction and other chemicals and uh, uh, carcinogens in the body.
0: Mm -hmm. Do do we find any cultural differences, Uh, Japan, Lebanon, Chile, Canada, Mm -hmm. are there differences culturally or socially in how people consume uh, these products, different tobacco based products?
1: Particularly to vaping or in general?
0: No, in general, cigarettes, uh, water pipes, cigars. For
1: tobacco use, I mean, apart from the traditional use of tobacco, so we're not going to get into that because, of course, there are traditional uses of tobacco in native populations. But if we're talking about, you know, differences across uh, across those countries, uses, you know, this the variance of use or the um, the prevalence or the you know addiction that's available in the country is related to availability of the product is related to the level of regulation uh, of this product, how accessible and affordable is this product. And this is why we think about the framework convention as a universal global uh, convention, that there is one approach, there is, at least there's an umbrella, it's a basket of various articles and legislative uh, recommendations for countries that together, if applied, uh, properly will result in reducing tobacco consumption and improving the, uh, the, the public health uh, consequences of tobacco use.
0: Right. One of the critical aims of your work is to influence policy through uh, informed science. Right. You've done this now for over a decade or two almost, and, uh-huh. and, and your colleagues are, uh-huh. around the world have done this for a long time. Uh, uh-huh. Are there any really clear uh, universal lessons about how... Do we actually influence policy that is mostly government policies as well as private sector? But also, linked to that, how do we influence the habits of individual consumers? Because you're talking about two different uh, target audiences.
1: So, to start off, you know, to start with the habits of individual consumers first, in specifically in tobacco control, this is what the approach is is having those policies that are put uh, and translated into regulations and the regulations help change social norms so if you think about the you know the existence of regulations and of course enforcing regulations changes social norms so when you think about how the world moved from being completely permissive of smoking in public places so you can see that in, you know when you watch the old movies with people smoking <laughs> in any sort of potential location which now if you no. think about it is just sort of impossible even in doctors clinics and you think historically how this acceptance changed across the years, starting with at one point in time and the introduction of smoking, non smoking sections, which was a real advance at that time. And then later on, when the, when the science became more clear about the harmful effects of secondhand smoke, then smoking, non smoking sections became totally unacceptable, moving to complete bans of smoking. Topic. And this has been uh, made possible through the introduction of policies that are supported by the evidence and the science. And this is slowly how this behavior, individual behavior, will follow advances in evidence. Now, for policy uh, and influencing policymakers, it's a little bit more complicated. And at least, and if I want to talk specifically for tobacco control and the experience globally in tobacco control, it's a special situation because we have. Uh, within that whole sphere of stakeholders are concerned with tobacco use and tobacco control, we have an industry. We have a very strong industry that has power and resources, uh, much, definitely more power and resources than civil society groups on the ground, grassroots organizations that are pushing forward for, for, uh, uh, for you know proper tobacco control policies. So the the dynamics are totally different than if we're talking about another topic. And my sort of uh, Contribution and my involvement through the Knowledge to Policy Center is particularly on to focus on evidence-informed advocacy. Mm-hmm. So, so go beyond just translating uh, evidence that you know. You, you think about you know evidence that comes out from research in to be published in peer-reviewed journals. And then the next step is you think about, okay, one knowledge translation tools, um, some knowledge translation tools are producing evidence briefs that summarize this evidence in policy briefs or uh, so that it makes it more pleasant for policymakers and acceptable for policymakers to read and consume and use. But then one step beyond that is that is it enough to just produce those knowledge translation tools? where in tobacco control, there's this extra, extra step that's needed, is that advocacy for the evidence-informed policy. And this is what I, my focus is, is that how do you actually not only make the, um, um, through, through those knowledge translation tools, make the evidence known, but how do you push for it through different uh, advocacy uh, processes? And that requires partnership. I mean, public mm-hmm. health professionals, or at least as an academic academic on my own, I am unable to do that if I don't partner with other stakeholders who have the same interests. So I'm talking about those society groups. I'm talking about media. I'm talking about you know, even policymakers, legislators who also either can be swayed towards uh, the same positions or policymakers that already have, you know, similar positions as us and understand the value of moving forward uh, tobacco control policy. This this sort of a coalition of people that work together are able to more efficiently and in a better way uh, translate the knowledge and translate the evidence that is
0: produced from research. Hmm. Uh, Rima, we only have about a minute left. My uh, last hmm. question is from uh, all the things that you've done and learned you and your colleagues, what is uh, your next focus now? What do you see as priority for you?
1: Yeah, so the priority is focusing uh, and. Actually, persistence on uh, on whatever we know today—that's my priority. Whenever, we, whatever we know today, uh, that is uh, effective in reducing consumption of tobacco use, particularly new alternative ways. So whether it's vaping or whether it's water pipe tobacco use, and translating it to policy and and learning from experiences of other countries, rather than have to wait, you know, many years until we are able to uh, to reach that. There's a there's a rich, rich, very rich sort of experience from other countries, let's learn from their mistakes and get to where we want to go faster.
0: Mm -hmm. And I can't resist asking one last question. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are the implications from your work um, in tobacco control in the uh, uh, K2P policy impacting work that you do at AAB? What are the implications for dealing with the pandemic now?
1: You know, the sort of work that we do in knowledge translation, you mean?
0: Yes, or influencing policy or both influencing behavior of individuals and the policies of the state.
1: Currently, we, there's a lot of work that the center is doing, particularly sort of we had to move our efforts and work part, uh, specifically on COVID 19 uh, issues and informing policymakers about the evidence on. With regards to COVID 19, whether it has to do with lockdowns or even evidence around vaccine and all that. So the same, we're doing the same kind of work, but, you know, evidence informed policy needs to be timely also. So I think this is a very interesting and important question that you asked, Tommy, is, you know, how can we cope with these new changes uh, at the global level and still be able to do the work that we do, and in addition to the work that's very much needed, that's related to to the current context of COVID nineteen, and this this is very challenging, actually.
0: Yes. Well, thank you so much, Reem and Ash. Yeah, I know that you and your colleagues, and the Tobacco Control Research Group, and the K two P Center, and other things you do at AUB, will keep addressing these issues, and we'll keep coming back to you thank to you. <laughs> to look for more uh, more uh, answers and lessons. Um, thank you, you, thanks for being with us. Our guest has been Professor Rima Ash, associate, tenured associate professor at the Health Promotion and Community Health Department and the Faculty of Health Sciences at AUB. I'm Rami Khoury, your host. Thank you for being with us on this episode of Professors at Work and join me again next week. Bye for now.